Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Hey, everybody. I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. Thank you for tuning in from across Canada and so many other countries like Germany, USA, UK, Australia, Vietnam, just to name a few. It's great to have all of you joining us. I'm so glad that you love listening to the inspiring guests we feature every week. These important conversations with the unafraid keep our fearless community growing. So tell your friends, tell them to listen, tell them to follow us on Instagram. And if you don't already have a copy, pick one up of my best-selling book, Fearless, Girls with Dreams, Women with Vision. So you can be inspired by the authentic stories from women in Canada and elsewhere. All right. I am really excited about this next guest. She has forged a trailblazing path in her incredible career that includes human rights, diversity and inclusion, as well as an innovator in addressing workplace mental health and wellness. How timely is that? Who is this inspiring human being? Shireen Bensby Miller, Assistant Deputy Minister of Next Generation HR and Pay at Shared Services Canada, monster job, big thinker, and as we already heard, an innovator. Welcome to the show, Shireen. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. So let me tell people just a few more things about you. I don't have time to go through the long, 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 impressive bio, but I do want to put a spotlight on some of the incredible recognition that you've received, including WXN, Canada's Top 100 Most Powerful Women. You've had significant recognition for significant contributions to the public sector, including the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Award. Let's talk about your education. You have an MA in criminology, uh, JD from Osgood Hall. You were called to the Bar of Ontario. So many awards. What does this kind of recognition mean to you, Shireen? You know, I think that recognition is a way of highlighting things so that other people can see the path forward. So Mm. I love recognition and awards and I love nominating other people for them because I think when we spotlight people and what they've done and their successes, it gives ideas to other people of what's possible. So that's really what all of this is about for me. Uh, WXN, for example, is all about mentoring and helping other women find their way in the workplace and finding the careers that they love. Yeah, I, I have been a mentor with the WXN program for uh, many years. And I agree, this idea of giving back and helping others, it's a great legacy, frankly. And it feels so darn good. Uh, let's talk about your current role and why you love it. <laughs> this is a big, big job. But why don't you break it down for people to understand what is Next Generation HR and Pay at Shared Services Canada? Well, as many Canadians will know from the media and others, Canada has been facing a problem with its pay system. 
And so in budget 2018, the government announced its intention to move away from that system and begin to develop the next generation of the federal government's pay system. And so in the context of that journey, I was asked if I would head up the initiative and build and transform the system. I actually love this job because I like solving big problems. That's really what, what gets me moving. So we're working to create something modern and uh, usable. So what does it take, though, to say yes when you're presented with you know something that, yes, it's exciting and it is a big opportunity and a big problem you can solve but you know it's not without some significant challenges and you know what's your advice to others when this kind of cool opportunity lands in your lap but you're being mindful of kind of that bigger picture how do you move forward and say yes wow that's a good question i'm not sure that i am a person who worries too much about the bigger picture when i'm making those kinds of decisions i think it's very personal So I think what I think about most is, do I think that I can contribute? Do I think that this is an exciting opportunity to challenge myself, to build a strong team around me, to really contribute in a way that's meaningful? For me, there's really only two things I need to be happy, I think. One is to do something of value, and the other is to be personally valued. So when I'm approached because somebody believes I'm the person who can do it and they really validate what my skills are, I feel that that really is a great place to start. And then when you ask yourself, is it something of value? Well, do I think that federal public servants, and there are about 300,000 of them, need to be paid on time and accurately? Yes, I do. You know, it's as simple as that. It's Does this fit something that I think I can contribute to? Mm-hmm. And I love that simple equation, the two sides where values on both sides of it is a great way to think about each of our ability to contribute. You know, are you being valued and can you add value? Very practical. Thank you for that, Shireen. What about because your career has taken you in many different directions and you've had so many interesting opportunities? What about that idea around changing roles and then taking on the big jobs? Like, what's your advice for others beyond sort of understanding the value piece? But how do you say yes around like now's the right time to move to something new? You know, because there's uncertainty and you like, do you have a sense sort of like I've, I've done what I think I can do here and onwards? Like how, what goes into your consideration? You know, that is usually the formula for me. I ask myself, have I done what I came to do or what I think I can do? If the answer is yes, then the second question is, has it stopped being fun? And where could I go where it'll be more fun? You know, it really comes down to that. Because for me, being in the workforce is really about dedication and passion. So when something stops being fun or you're less passionate about it, I think you really have to find something to make you passionate again something that scares you a little bit. Ah, yes, right, a little bit. Ooh, <laughs> right, that feeling of, ah! <laughs> exactly, <laughs> something that stretches you. Uh-huh. Look, I was trained as a criminal defense lawyer. Okay, so that's my real calling. And then here I am, I've been the Assistant Deputy Minister for Small Business and Tourism. I've been uh, Deputy Chair of the Immigration and Refugee Board Tribunal. So, you know, Really going into the unknown is really what I think is fun, doing transformation. 
fundamental transformation is really what gets me excited. So Shireen, you're talking a lot about being at work and the value of fun. I will say I'm not, I I agree with you. I think that work has to be fun. It's a core value for me. You know, we're spending all this time at it. I want it to be something that's enjoyable. I don't necessarily, and this is my bias coming through, I wouldn't think about, you know, being a criminal defense lawyer as fun. So uh, tell me more about that, how that comes to play in such a serious pursuit. You know, I think one of my fundamental values in life has always been, and it speaks to why I've gotten involved in mental health advocacy, is I actually am hardwired to fight injustices. And by definition, criminal defense lawyers protect individuals against the machinery of the state. So it is fun. It's you and your client against a huge infrastructure of police and prosecutors. And you have to listen well, and you have to be articulate, and you have to know the law, and you have to understand how people, how dynamics work in a courtroom. There's so much to do. There's so much to think about. And there's so many great people who do it. So the network of people that you get to work with in the criminal justice system is just amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you say it that way, it does sound very exciting. And of course, the calling piece of it, right? Fighting injustice, so powerful. Let's talk about, you have had recognition as an innovator in addressing workplace mental health and wellness. So how did that come to play in your life? Well, I have two wonderful, amazing daughters. And one of them, when she was 12, became very, very sick, very, very suddenly Over the course of a 24-hour period, she had a fever, and then suddenly she went from being an able-bodied preteen to uh, not being able to function pretty much at all. And it turned out that she developed pretty much overnight severe treatment-resistant obsessive-compulsive disorder. Watching her go through the journey of trying to get help from the system, trying to get help in the school system, so in the, in the health system, in the school system, in society, and trying to navigate both the illness and also her forward trajectory was really eye-opening for me. So we went from being just a normal family with healthy kids to having somebody who was severely disabled by a mental health problem. And it really opened my eyes to all the things that people assume and all the stigma that comes with that kind of illness. And I realized that if people only looked at her for her OCD, they would miss the real person. And now she's thriving and she's finished professional school and has a career ahead of her and a wonderful life with wonderful friends. And she has managed the illness, but the illness is not who she is. And so for me in the workplace as a leader, It's very important to give others that same opportunity to not be defined by one aspect of their lives, one one debilitating thing. So, you know, I wouldn't define somebody who walked in on crutches because they had broken their leg skiing as the person with the broken leg. Mm -hmm. So why do we do it for people who suffer from mental health problems, whether it's depression or stress or something else? Uh, I think it's it's something we really need to fight against. I couldn't agree more. We want our workplaces to be humane and we want people to have the opportunity to be able to thrive and to bring their full selves to work. So 
this is incredibly important work, Shireen, and, and we're all grateful for it. Why uh, do you consider, so you, you know, began your career in the criminal justice system, you know, and now you're a public servant. Why do you believe being a public servant is a noble pursuit and one that others should consider for career ambitions? You know, working for the public service is a reason we call it public service. It's because our job is to serve the public and the ability to change people's lives and not just one person at a time, but whole categories of people. You know, the opportunity, for instance, to help small business in Canada as a group with funding or programming or information or assistance of different kinds or working with the banking sector to do it is very exciting and it's very, very rewarding. So that's one aspect of working in the public service is that you get to help lots of people. But the other thing is just from a personal perspective, it also allows you all kinds of opportunities to do all different kinds of work and to stretch yourself in all different kinds of ways. I've done adjudication for refugee claimants. I have done digital transformation. I have done program development and delivery. I've had an innovation lab that was a design, user-centric design lab. I opened the mental health center for innovation in the workplace. I've had opportunities to do such a variety of things, even though somebody might have wanted to keep me in the box of criminologist or criminal defense counsel. But instead, I've been accepted as a whole person with a dynamic set of skills that are able to be really transformative, both for myself and for others, when I get to work on different challenging projects with incredible teams of really brilliant people. So what's something that you wish you knew earlier? I wish I knew earlier that when you are faced with a large problem, you must unpack it. So rather than being freaked out by how huge it is, Mm -hmm. it's actually very manageable if you unpack it into smaller problems. And I have found that to be true both in my personal life and in my professional life. However big the problem is, however huge it feels, however anxiety provoking it is, if I start to unpack it into its component parts, it's amazing how much easier it is to solve. That is so practical and helpful. And I love that because sometimes we can get just stalled on the sheer magnitude of what we perceive the problem to be. And, you know, I love this idea of it might be one big problem, but if we see it in all those unpacked parts, suddenly that seems very manageable. I think we should print t-shirts that just say, just unpack it. (laughs) Let's get on that. Um, okay, tell me this. What's something you've done once that you don't want to do ever again? Oh, that's easy. I don't ever want to let someone else define me. Ooh, say more. I don't ever want someone else's opinion of me or of something that I have done or something that I have said to change who I am and to make me less authentically me. Mm. And sometimes when people in authority, say, you know, you don't have the goods, or I don't like you, or you're too loud, or you're too irreverent, or, you know, you aren't, you don't dress right, or you don't look right, or you don't look the part. Sometimes you believe them, especially if they're a person in authority. 
-hmm. And so I don't ever want to allow that to happen again. And I think it has really inspired me to be the kind of leader that I want to follow. And, and I want to be the kind of leader that people want to work for, and it makes them feel good to be around. And I want to, even if they leave me, to want to come back and work with me again. And I think that's all part of not ever wanting to have someone else define me. I think it would be surprising for many people listening, somebody as incredibly inspiring as you that would have experienced that. You know, I think women experience this a lot. I think uh, people are very quick to say, you know, it's the it's it, there are memes about it, right? You know, little girls uh, are bossy, uh, little boys are so capable. Um, we just right. we have we have perspectives on women that um, you know, if 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 a woman is tough, you know, she's a, and then we don't have to say the word on a podcast, but a man is you know getting the job done. So I think it's not unusual. I think lots of women have had the experience where someone has tried to define them based on their perception of them. You know, you weren't quite as nice as they thought you should be, or you weren't quite as delicate about that as you could have been, especially if you're somebody who's very direct. You might be able to tell I'm somebody who's very direct. I speak Mm -hmm. my mind. And uh, so you're never left guessing what I'm thinking. But I'm always respectful and I'm always courteous. I always try to be collegial. But at the same time, I'm not a doormat and I have an opinion. And sometimes that's not uh, something that people value. So that whole idea of, you know, you started with your two dot, dot, dot. And that starts to make you want to shrink or, you know, feel boxed in by the two this, two that. What's your advice to others on how to highlight their achievements? Because there is particularly for women listening, we do have this fear of being perceived as bragging and, uh, you know, oh, look at her. She's such a self-promoter or whatever that, you know, exactly as you said, the, the differing view that we have of the same behavior, depending on that gender lens that's applied. Like, how would you like women to think about how they can effectively highlight their achievements. I think fundamentally, one of the things I would really like is I would really like women to highlight each other's achievements. Because it's true. It's hard to be your own best advocate. But for instance, just doing this podcast, you're highlighting other people's achievements. You're really bragging about them. And you're allowing them to hold their heads high and to speak up and be heard. And that really is what I would like in the world. I would like everybody to do that for at least two people every day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really about nominating each other for awards. We need more Janice McDonald's. We need to help (laughs) highlight the achievements of others, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of women have what is commonly referred to as the imposter syndrome, where they feel like they're kind of faking it till they make it. Well, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So women should actually just remember that's their own inside voice. While they're feeling that, they're actually busy inspiring others. Yeah. And I think we can be sometimes hard on ourselves and it's uh, perhaps an inaccurate reflection to your point. We can be very busily inspiring others. But here's the thing. Certainly someone like you, a trailblazer who's had all of these really big, uh, important jobs you know, as you go up the ranks, people know you and you can sometimes be uh, 
in people's eyes in terms of looking for ways to criticize? How do you handle criticism? Any advice? Yeah, it, hmm. I'd say when they go low, you go high. Right. Put your big girl pants on and take it. Maintain your dignity. <laughs> right. Remind yourself as it's happening of three things. One, you will look back on this moment and you will want to have listened with respect. You will want to have looked dignified. Two, your reputation is built in steps, but it rides out on horseback. So always behave in a way that you would want your reputation to reflect. And three, however much it hurts, there is something to learn from what's being said, either about yourself or about the person who's saying it. Mm -hmm. So either way, it's an interesting thing to unpack. So just unpack it. That's so practical. Yeah, we're unpacking everything, including your 10-year-old self. Tell us about that girl. Where were you living? What were you into? Uh, give us the scoop. So I was living in Rome. I grew up in Italy, which is just a magnificent place to grow up. It was really a, a kind of Disney childhood. But part of being an international citizen, a Canadian somewhere else, is that I was very aware of things that were going on in the world. So um, I'm a middle child, so I'm a born disruptor and a born fighter. And I, right from a very young age, decided that fighting injustice was going to be my thing. My favorite question has always been, why, why do we do it that way? Why, is that, why does that work like this? So providing a challenge function has apparently been sort of obvious from the first, which may be how I became a lawyer in the first place, or maybe that's why I became a lawyer, or maybe uh, that's how I became a lawyer. Not entirely sure. <laughs> I think my 10-year-old self wanted to be, you know, as smart and as strong as my brother who was four years older. And as kind and as cute as my sister, who was two years younger, and also recognized to be distinctly myself. So I heard the story about my grandfather, who was wrongfully convicted and who had spent two years in prison on trumped up charges. And when he was released at the end of two years, because the sentence was terminated as a result of it being obvious that he had been convicted based on perjured evidence. When I heard that story, I realized I had to be a criminal defense lawyer and I had to be the person who spoke for people who couldn't speak for themselves to prevent wrongful conviction. So my 10-year-old self was really clear on what I was going to do with my life. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's interesting about my grandfather's story is that that story that he was wrongfully convicted sounded terrible to me. But, you know, my grandfather had come over when he was 14 by himself alone and so when he went to prison, he had never been to school. So he was illiterate. He couldn't read. So he used the time in prison to learn to read and read all the classics. So he came out much better educated than he went in. And he decided when he walked out the doors of that prison that he would never think about it again. He would never talk about it. He would never look back on it. He, he was just going forward. And that ability to put something bad just behind you and never live in bitterness and never be sorry about something bad happening to you and never thinking, why me? Allowed him to become such a strong person. He, he actually went and became a very successful businessman and had a family and had four kids and lived happily. And when I met him, he was like a very happy grandfather. He was super happy, you know, all the time. I'm so deeply moved by that story. And I, I wonder 
someone who can make that decision to say, despite the fact, like, first of all, to see the good, (laughs) you know, in this very difficult situation and to use the time, but then on top of it, to come out and say, never talking about it, never looking back onwards, forward. That's, that's so incredible. That takes such strength. It was so inspiring to me. It has really been an inspiration my whole life. And so I'm somebody who believes, and I guess it's why I was so interested in uh, corrections and criminal justice and sentencing law and post-sentencing law. I actually believe that time is the one thing we can't buy. Time is the one thing that we have to value as much as we value the people we love. And so I am somebody who tries never to waste time. At the end of every day, I try to think about what have I done today to really honor the fact that I had the time. Mm. And so I think I get that from my grandfather, right? You know, he spent those two years in prison and he could have been bitter and he could have been resentful Mm. and it could have really ruined his life because he really was in prison for no fault of his own. But instead, he he thought, well, if I'm going to be here anyway, I never did get to go to school. I guess I should learn to read. I guess I should teach myself to read. And he taught himself to read. And uh, yeah, so it really put a perspective on things that I really enjoy even now. Well, and I, I think what's so moving about it is this focus on, you know, being able to choose how you want to see that experience. Not only did he take advantage of that time, even though, you know, he should not have been there, but he made the most of it and then decided, all right, onwards. It, I just find it incredibly moving. My daughter did exactly the same thing, right? She got sick at age 12. And by age 16, she did her first TED Talk. She started speaking to high school students about what it was like to live with severe OCD. And she spoke to tens of thousands of high school students through the Canadian Mental Health Association program called Open Minds. And she decided that sharing this experience would help others to get the help they need to to fight the stigma. And so she just decided that even though the cards she had been dealt were very difficult and very difficult for her to manage, that she needed to do something positive. So I've seen my daughter do that. And um, I find that very inspiring too. So you've got these fearless people all through your family. Why don't you share a time you yourself, Shireen, were fearless? You know, that's the hardest question because I don't know if I'm ever fearless. Like I think I have a really healthy fear of the unknown and things that I don't know how to do before I get there. And I persevere anyway. So maybe it's a time when I had courage to do something difficult rather than fearless Mm because I'm not sure I did it without fear. Um, So, okay, I know I took seven years to be at home with my kids. So I left the workforce and spent seven years in the unpaid work of being a mom. Now, I have to say it was the most fun I've ever had. It was also the hardest job I've ever done. Mm -hmm. But when you leave the workforce, when you're a career woman, when you have a plan from age 10 that you're going to be a criminal defense lawyer and that's the way it's going to be and you you know, you know, do a master's in criminology and then you go to law school, then you article with two of Canada's best criminal defense lawyers and you really have a career path kind of laid out ahead of you. When you decide to take a break from that with no guarantee that you're ever going to get back into the workforce, you don't know who's going to hire you, you don't know if anybody would be willing to or if they'll really think less of you because you took, I took almost a decade. I took seven and a half years at home with my kids. That I would say 
was really fearlessness because if I had had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, oh, you're at home with your kids? Wow, you had such a promising career. If I had a dollar for every time somebody had said something like that to me, I wouldn't have ever had to go back to work because I would have I would have just been able to go into investing. Yeah. So, you know, you go into this and you think, well, there's a downside. There's a potential really big downside and you do it anyway and you love it anyway and you enjoy every minute of it anyway and feel privileged to have done it in the end. That's really probably the most fearless thing I've ever done. It's incredibly fearless because when we step out of, you know, what everyone has, I mean, you knew it was a, an inspiring career you were on the path of, but at the same time, you wanted something else. And that's incredible. And I think it's so beautiful for people to think about that possibility. But at the same time, to your point, that risk of like, is all lost? <laughs> you know, was this such a final decision, which of course we know it isn't just given your skill set, et cetera. But to your point, we don't have the guarantees that someone will say, yes, I want you back. So yeah, it's hard to do things when there are no guarantees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very inspiring though. And I, I love the idea of that nonlinear career and just making the decisions about what's right for your own family. You're not saying it's right for everybody. It's just, this is what I want to do for my family, which I think is... Um, incredible for women to think about. And also personally, it was so rewarding. I I had no idea. I was never one of these people who could really envision being a parent. I wasn't sure that I wanted to parent. And then my daughter was born and I met her. And honestly, it just took my breath away. I just thought, this is so amazing. What a privilege to be able to do it. So I really felt like it was a privilege. It's not for everybody, but you know, if it touches you in that way to be able to indulge that kind of growth is really just, yeah, a luxury that I just couldn't pass up. So when thinking about your family, now I want you to think uh, for the whole country. This is the final question. What, Shireen, is your dream for Canada? You know, as a public servant, I think about this a lot. I think, especially in the face of this pandemic, I am so proud of the way Canadians and the governments, provincial and federal and municipal, have taken this pandemic seriously and taken the measures that we needed to take to support all Canadians. And I think we need to keep doing that. You know, you can't just do it in the moment of crisis. It takes long and sustained commitment. And I really hope that we'll have it. I hope we'll stick with it. I hope we'll, I hope we'll really hold on to our values, which are really Canadian values, right? The values of constancy and support and kindness. And I know people make a joke about how nice Canadians are, but I do think, and I, and I say this with all the humility of a, of a Canadian who has lived abroad much of her life, it really is an amazing, amazing quality to have a country that looks after each other and looks after people who have less fortunate life stories than we do. I I was an adjudicator with the Immigration and Refugee Board, and I'm very proud of our systems and our processes. But really what I'm most proud of is just Canadians and the way they open their homes and their hearts. And I think in the concept of the pandemic, we really, really, in this context, have to hold on to that, even though it's scary. So what I hope for Canada is that we will do that. And at the same time, we will be resilient and we will bring our economy back and we will stay the course for each other and for our kids. 
You've been listening to Shireen Bensby-Miller. Isn't she incredible? Assistant Deputy Minister of Next Generation HR and Pay at Shared Services Canada. She talked about in her beautiful dream for Canada, resiliency and kindness. Two words I would use to describe you, Shireen. It has been such an incredible pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Fearless Women podcast. Thank you so much, Dennis. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin, and Export Development Canada. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.